Isaac Shapiro, thank you very much for joining me. I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Isaac, uh, can you tell us a bit about your your backstory? Um, I, I did read that you did LSD at 19 and it completely sort of changed the direction of your life. Can you maybe just expand on that? Yeah, it was kind of like an accident. I wasn't really uh, a druggie, but someone <laughs> smuggled a Playboy into... Uh, South Africa and a young man, you know, being a young man, Playboys were in, they were banned. So it was interesting and just happened to be one that had an article by Timothy Leary, mm. where he was talking about taking acid and having thousands of orgasms a second. And as that really appealed to <laughs> a, a young guy in the height of his hormones. So, um, I had we, I had no idea what it was or how long it lasted. Me and a and a close friend um, uh, dropped it at a friend's house when his parents went out for the the evening. They were going out from seven till ten. We you know, we just didn't know what we were in for. And then, but all of a sudden, I it was like a download from the universe. You know, I was just. Uh, experience unconditional love I could look at someone felt like I can see the future and you know like see what people were thinking and mm. and I could just see that I was you know at that stage I was starting to do medicine and I could see I was doing it for all the wrong reasons and so you know once I tasted that that uh, unconditional loving, I just was, wow, if it's possible to live like that, I want to. Mm. So I went and resigned from medicine. And even though I knew it would freak my parents out, but I knew I didn't really have an option after I'd had that experience and seen what I'd seen. Yeah. So that started that uh, journey into you know i didn't know about teachers i didn't know about i just knew what i've experienced and i knew that it was beautiful and i knew that uh it was possible you know mm -hmm. until then i didn't have a clue that that was a possibility so my, my entryway was through lsd or acid whatever you want to call it and so you know i just did what i could to get my hands on as much of it as i could and just you know that was my only context i didn't know about spirituality i didn't know about teachers i didn't know, you know so mm. i was just interested in exploring consciousness through i would say medicines for me because they were i didn't see them as drugs so to speak i saw them as doorways to to see deeper into consciousness and myself and so I guess like many people at that, that stage, my vision was to move out to the country and start a community and grow our own food and build our own houses and all that stuff. Mm. And then, you know, one thing led to another and um, I kept, I mean, I, I kept finding the next step, I could just say it like that. And then at one point, I uh, was doing what I called awareness work because I'd got to the point where I could see that 
you know, often we can see what's going on in another person easier than what we can see in ourselves. But um, we have never really developed the tools for giving feedback that was useful. Usually feedback always came with criticism, you know, like that someone was doing something wrong rather than just pure information, like what I noticed or something like that. And so I had developed a kind of work where we would, you know, people would take chances getting feedback from the whole group under the context of um, kind of meeting each other in a beautiful way. Mm. And because um, at that point, it seemed to me like certain qualities of attention, you know, a, a quality of attention that carried judgment or or duality actually was painful to receive. And there were certain qualities of attention that were nurturing and actually brought you alive. And so I was exploring that and doing somehow doing workshops around the world. Mm. And um, a guy came to one of my workshops who was a friend of mine, and I saw him a little while later, and I had gotten reasonably um, sensitive to people's energy, you could say, and I could see something had shifted deeply in him. And when I asked him, I thought, was it was that from the workshop? Because I was used to seeing that kind of transformation. And he said, no, he'd gone to India to meet uh, Papaji. And so that interested me because at that, at that time, um, kind of the mindset for me was like, you know how Greenpeace started off as a small little organization mm. in, a, in a garage somewhere, and then now in the multinational corporations, when Greenpeace knocks on their door, they, you know, they, they listen. I thought, wow, why can't we also do something like that? Because I could see that how humans were functioning were like lemmings going over a cliff, it seemed to me. And so I thought, how do we kind of turn it, turn it around? And so I was very interested to, to kind of, and to me, it seemed like business was leading the way. So I wanted to work with big business and kind of see if I could bring something a more fun way of functioning you know because no one would give up a, a good way for something worse so i was looking for could we find a, a different modality that made sense to a business mind and mm. so i was looking for other places and other people that were producing transformation and trying to incorporate it in that approach yeah and so then i I um, went to India to meet Papaji, and when I met him, he looked at me and he said, oh, you've already visited all these different locas or dimensions. He used the word loka in India, I guess it's just different realms, and uh, you've, come, you've come here to finish your, your work. And he said, man, and I'll just bring your attention to awareness itself. And up to that point, it had never occurred to me. Uh, you know, I was working with attention, but it never occurred to me to bring it back to awareness. And so when he said it, it was like, oh, of course. And, um, but then it started like an, an exploration myself. How do you actually do it? You know, what, 
what is awareness? How do you bring your attention there? And so mm. um, I just started playing that. And um, immediately afterwards, I had a workshop scheduled in New Zealand and also Denmark. And um, but when I got there, I saw I just couldn't do what I'd been doing anymore because something had shifted from meeting Papaji. And so I told people, look, I'll give you your money back. And uh, um, they said to me, no, look, we've looked forward to you you're coming here. And so if you've discovered something better, you, go, you need to show us. And I said, shit, I'm not qualified. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, Okay, let's try. And so, you know, I, I had my first, um, I guess, uh, explorations from that perspective with that group, and they seemed to like it and get value from it. And then the same thing happened when I went to Denmark. Uh, because, you know, like the way I was organizing that time, my organizer would make a living from organizing for me. And so, you know, I couldn't just bail on them because I, somehow I felt. So the same thing happened. My idea was to just finish up my commitments and go back to India and spend more time with Papaji so I could deepen, you know. And I got to India and he said, oh, you found the diamond. Now I want you to be available to other people that have this interest. And I, I kind of knew what he meant. But it was like, uh, in some ways, I felt like he was, my perception of him, I could say it like that, was mm. like, man, he, he was big. Uh, you know, like, huge space. And so it was like, okay, and then people heard in 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 Lucknow where I was and they invited me to come to their country and hold meetings and oh, okay geez how do I do that you know it's like a whole <laughs> whole another ball game because before you know I was Papaji never charged he always did everything for free and so but I had kids and a partner and I asked Papaji how do I how do I manage this uh, practically because you know, if anyone wanted Papaji to go anywhere, it was clear they had to buy him tickets and they had to provide accommodation and everything for him. And, you know, nobody knew me and nobody would be willing to do that with me. So I was like, oh. he said, just charge. It's no problem. Yeah. So I was sitting with that and just trying to find what felt right to me. And so I, the way I came to was, look, I'll just do it on a donation basis and uh, people that invite me, their risk would be to find a room where we could uh, hold meetings and cover the costs of that and, and give me accommodation in their home was fine with me. And um, uh, once the donations came in, I'd cover the costs of my plane ticket and, my, and we'd split the costs until both our costs were covered and if there was any extra then it would that be for me so somehow it worked it's like people liked it and i kept getting invitations and uh so next almost, thing i knew was almost as if love's taking care of you huh 
it was like that. I mean, because I never promoted myself. I never did anything. It was just like, it just kind of rolled. Yeah. You know, I guess if, if people weren't getting value, it would have stopped then and there. But somehow people were getting value. And Yeah. yeah. So now do you do, do you run satsangs and things now? So at this point, you know, pre-COVID, mm. I was... I was spending six months of the year traveling on the world around the world and six months uh, in my home in Byron Bay and I would be I would hold meetings uh, every evening during the week and on the weekend I would do whole day meetings yeah and then I would hold retreats and the retreats I would charge a little bit for was like, I guess, one of the cheapest on the block. Because for me, I was just interested in that it covered my costs. It wasn't like I was, uh, I needed to, I needed to be able to pay for my kids schooling and stuff like that. But I wasn't looking to, uh, yeah, it wasn't about the money for me. I sure. just loved um inquiring with people and exploring, you know, and so I never saw myself as a teacher or a master or anything like that. I just, you know, it was how Papaji described it was if you've seen the moon and someone asks you where the moon is, you can point at the moon. You could say, look there. And he said, but if you look at anything, it's crooked. So don't look at the finger, look where the finger's pointing. So, you know, like I didn't have any idea that I had to be perfect or anything mm -hmm. like that because I was just uh, asking questions that pointed people at the unknowing. So I never became, I never felt like I became anybody or, uh, you know, just yeah. pointing people at the unknowing. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I have a difficult time, Isaac, here. Uh, I like to label it as like balancing heaven and earth. So like there's that inner knowing and, and sensing, if you like, of the moment, which I tend to perceive as heaven. And then there's the the, the balancing heaven and earth is uh, your day-to-day -day existence, practical, pragmatic, um, running businesses and whatever else you're up to. What would you sort of uh, say to me and, and others who struggle with that balancing act? You know, it's a, it's a fantastic question, Alex. It's like, you know, to me, it seems like all that we have to give anything is our attention. So that's a big statement. Just check it out in your own experience mm -hmm. if that's true. What I have to give you is my attention. What you have to give me is your attention. But our attention has been conditioned. So if we look at this moment, how do we know that there's a universe? We sense it. How do we know there's time? How do we know there's space, energy, matter? It's all sensations to us. So this moment appears to us through our senses. And so it's a sensation. Usually that sensation gets interpreted always through our conditioning and through our trauma load, our inherited trauma load from generations back. And then we end up with a perception that feels real to us. But because it's an interpretation and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's 
it's in a sense it's a waking dream mm. so um the invitation to bring it you know like the recognition usually we think it's the body that experiences but if we look we can see there can be a dead body and it doesn't seem to experience much if anything <laughs> so it can't be the body and also the body itself how do we know there's a bodying activity we sense it mm -hmm. so actually the bodying activity is a sensation to us and a sensation can't have another another sensation so where do all these sensations appear you could say whatever whatever you call that uh, that spark of life or awareness but whatever that is, it's here now already. Otherwise, it couldn't be any experience. Yeah. So then, so if we look at it, for most of us, our habit is to be almost entirely focused on the content of awareness, what shows up, and the interpretation of awareness. There's very little attention just resting as that space or that intelligence in which all experience appears so once we start to explore that and find oh wow is it is it possible to just recognize that space in which everything appears including the content but without you know like finding the balance where we're not ignoring the content but we we're watching it come and go because all the, what the nature of experience is it's temporary. It comes and it goes. We can't hold on to any experience, not the most high or not the or not the the lowest low. You know, they all seem to come and go. Mm -hmm. So it's like, is it possible to rest as awareness in the context of our daily lives? But part of the difficulty is, part of the conditioning is, like, language turns everything into nouns. So we'll say a tree, or we'll say Alex as a noun, you know, as, as if, but really what Alex is to me, it's more like, it's a verb, Alexing, you know, so mm. it's like, and, and really if I look at it, uh, you know, I see something, I feel an energetic, there's awareness of how, you know, like energy is flowing, I could say it like that. But I've experienced all that in who I am. It's not from outside in, it's I know it from inside out, I could say it like that. And so with, to really be present with Alex Singh, it's, I'm with, in that balance point of, recognizing the space in which all the senses appear and with you know as direct as i can be with the sensations but of course there'll be some automatic unconscious interpreting of it but you know it's like usually i think the stats are within a few seconds of meeting someone we form an impression and from then on we never relate to the person again we relate to our idea so you know so it's like your question is 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 a great one. So as life is happening, you know, 
part of the trip is, to speak simply, what we have is the sensation of this moment, yeah? Yeah. Now, when we were in the womb, and our mother was in her life, whatever it was, when she had difficulty with our dads or she had difficulty with her family or with, the, you know, what was going on in the world, her system would contract. So our system was being conditioned already without having any, you know, direct information to contract a certain energy, certain smells, certain sounds, and we had no control over that conditioning at all. So by the time, you know, we were seven, eight, we've had all the conditioning in the womb, we have all the inherited trauma from generations back, and we have the conditioning from our early childhood. And so we're looking through a whole bunch of filters, yeah? Yeah. So, so, so what happened... Now please yeah. continue, please continue. Yeah, so this moment is a sensation. The moment something in our system, in our nervous system, contracts habitually or automatically or unconsciously, it's experienced as dis-ease, not being at ease. So that's where our thinking comes in, because our thinking is the capacity to solve problems. So when there's some sense that something's not okay, our thinking will look around, what is it that's not okay? And so whatever it'll be, my relationship, my money, my health, the way I look, my house, something is not okay. And whatever is not okay, we don't want. And when we don't want something, it means we have it. And then it's going to come up with a solution. And whatever the solution is, we, we want it, which means we don't have it. Mm. So whenever we're looking through that mechanism, which plays in almost everybody, we have everything we don't want, and we don't have what we do want, which is called suffering. You know, that's... <laughs> so w once we're in that habitual, unconscious way of functioning, life is not so sweet. So, you know, it's like all we have left then is hope. One day, it's going to be okay. But the other side of hope is hopelessness, and when we enter into that side of things, that's called depression or not enough energy to really enjoy life. So life moves kind of through these, oh, I'm getting there, I'm getting, I'm going for my dreams, and oh, it's never going to happen. You know, it's like, yeah. so it's 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 a funny cycle, but. You know, and if it plays unconsciously, nobody does it consciously. Mm. But once we catch onto it and we go, wait a second, all that I have is this moment. That's it. That's all that anybody has. If you're a billionaire or a pauper, that's all we have. And how it's perceived has to do with how our, how our attention kind of meets it. So that's the first point where, where we start to see, wait a second, it's, it's never the circumstance, actually. It has to do with habits of attention. So, you know, to me, that was a big wake-up to see that. Okay, it doesn't matter the circumstance. You can be 
you know, like having all the money in the world and being miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it has nothing to do with circumstance. And people have woken up in prison, you know, or woken up whilst being tortured. So Yeah. There's a lot of teachers, Isaac, uh, and they tend to, like, for example, you've mentioned trauma there and uh, generational stuff. A lot of uh, teachers, particularly in like the non-duality space, tend to say that uh, that can sort of be ignored. And uh, as long as you sort of rest in the awareness, for the lack of a better term, um, you know, life will go on, which is, is true in a sense. But do you feel that? healing as it were um of those traumas is an important part of the waking up process so and you've got a great question so i can just you know like that which has awakened you is already awake the sense of you which is the result of the old traumas or the conditioning and all that stuff uh, that sense of I you could say that identification that that is uh, where the difficulty is now we can say okay once you know who you are that sense of I you recognize it's not it's not real it doesn't actually exist it's a it's it's this construct from that conditioning and all that but when in the course of living something happens that touches old trauma it feels existential it feels like us, even though we can look and rationally go, no, there's nothing here that's really threatening me. How our, our nervous system response responds is as if our existence is threatened. And when that happens, our, our nervous system goes into fight, flight, or freeze. And when our system is in fight, flight, or freeze, if you say, what about awakeness? What about unconditional love? Someone will tell you to piss off. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, to say that um, it's not important, I would say, to me, it seems like this. You know, there's like this interest comes by grace, by luck, whatever you want to call it. Something happens and we find ourselves with this interest. And if we are fortunate, we, there's a recognition of awareness, that which is unchanging, ever-present, that in which everything appears. And we have either a moment of that or like a deep sense of that. But then there's a natural process that starts to occur where everything that has been repressed or... or uh, you could say playing automatically and unconsciously starts to show up. And for the first time, there's the capacity to start to meet it. And at that point, it switches from working on yourself or trying to awaken 
um, to just being available for those automatic unconscious patterns that are playing to come to peace. Because if you see that it not only benefits yourself, but it benefits everybody you're relating to. And the people that are most affected by the automatic unconscious patterns that play are the people we love the most and the people that are closest to us, because that's where it rubs up against. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in in relating, any kind of relating, parents, partners, friends, when when that relating is happening through unconscious patterns, it's going to rub and it's going to bump and it's gonna, they'll, be, they'll be hurt, they'll be, you know, all the movements that, that happen when patterns are playing. And as long as they're automatic and unconscious, literally mean that nobody's doing them, hmm. that for sure it gets triggered and and then uh, you know a lot of times that's registered as oh I've lost it or something, but no, it's not. It's just there's there's I could say unintegrated information coming up in awareness to so that that that's that that in a sense, by being present to and by exploring it, it benefits all beings. So to me, that enters into the the second phase, in a sense, of just being available for that that information to become conscious and come get integrated and come to peace. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I see it. And everyone, you know, will have their own take on that stuff. Yeah, I see a lot of... Um... Uh, psychology and and that f- line of work, um, and I'm not See, psychology. To... Yeah, Psych- there's a there's there's a there's some distinctions to make there. When these things, these unconscious patterns play, very often there's a sense that there's something that's not okay. Like there's something either not okay with me or there's something not okay with everybody else. So it'll it it, it registers in that way. So you know when hurt happens, for example, either the projection goes, "Oh, you hurt me," or there's something wrong with me that I feel hurt. But neither one is accurate. If we think someone else hurt us, we've just put our happiness in their hands which is not a good thing to do. And then, you know, we have to get them to be different so that we can actually be okay. Mm. And if we think that there's something wrong with us, which goes into, you know, a lot of therapies, people go to therapy because they have a sense that there's something wrong with them. And then the, the professional will say to them, oh, yes, there's something wrong with you. Now you've got a professional problem. But when you realize, look, there's just something unconscious playing in me, and I'm interested in that becoming conscious. It's not me at all. I never asked for it. I just find that it's playing, and I'm curious to bring it to peace. You know, they say, so in other words, there's there's a recognition that it's an opportunity, and that it's not you. It has nothing. It has to do with the conditioning or the old information from intergenerational traumas or our own, you know, or the traumas that happened during the course of our life stream. I mean, mm. yeah. So the, you've mentioned the nervous system a few times there in relation to trauma and things and con- contraction and, and everything. Do you feel that looking after the, the body mind organism 
uh, is an important part of, uh, I don't know, living well, holistic living. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, look, here we are. What we have is this moment. You know, I like to joke or twist it in a funny way and say this moment is as God as it gets. Whatever God means to you, you know, it doesn't get more God than this. So in some sense, if we, you know, if we're receiving this moment fully, that's love. Mm. Unconditional loving. So in the moment there's, again, you know, like waiting for a better experience or like this isn't it, this isn't as God as it can be. <laughs> then we we in this funny waiting for a better experience and missing the only thing we have, which is this moment. So, you know, we've heard about being present and stuff, but it's like, what does it truly mean? Yes, I'm here, and there's anger or there's sadness or whatever. But, you know, unless we go a little deeper than that, what's going on that it shows up in that way? It's like, how does it, how does that happen? What is it? You know, you just hear, and then someone says or does something, and our system responds as if, you know, with anger or with, uh, you know, like being freaked out. And, um, wow, interesting. How did that happen? I mean, it's just out of the blue. And it can come in, like it comes so fast sometimes, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I, I so think as well, like, Isaac, the, what I sometimes struggle with here is is the complete boundlessness mm -hmm. and boundarylessness. Mm-hmm. And, and then the mind will uh, do everything it can to c compartmentalize again because it mm -hmm. seems that it's just going to be completely obliterated. And there's a fit like a there seems to be like an underlying fear that if I just stayed there, it would just phew, I, I don't know how to explain it. It'd be ineffable, wordless, and I wouldn't basically I wouldn't exist anymore. W wouldn't be able to function. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, yeah. So it's 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 interesting, you know, because whatever that is that you're talking about is your nature. It's always here. We just you know, like all that happens is our attention shifts, and it's not noticed. Mm. We never go anywhere. The only thing that actually moves is our attention. So just check and see if that's true. I mean, you know, we hear. And there's that spacious uh, presence, unconditional presencing, and then what happens is a thought or something. <laughs> you know, comes and our system, the focus changes, our attention changes, and suddenly it feels like, uh, yeah, back into. Uh, some sense of identification of being somewhere, someone, or and so that movement keeps playing, you could say, and it looks like there's a me uh, that's uh, 
lost it or you know whatever it is but ultimately it's just our attention shifts that's as far as i can see that's how it is so it's like okay and that attention i, I guess i'm trying i'm moving into the free will type of and I'm, I'm wary of the philosophical stuff you can get into is that a spontaneous happening or is it like okay i'm gonna i i i am gonna go back there and and reside there or is it just a spontaneous happening yeah when i look if i look at um how life lives itself like there's all these expressions of this great intelligence that we call people in truth there's no separation at all there never has been there never can be but yet life is organized in a way where this conditioning happens and uh, there's identification so there's a sense of a me that has goals and wants and needs and uh, so you know it's like and yet when we're resting as that spaciousness there is no wants and needs there's nothing that we need there's nothing that we want it's just it's beauty it's just but yet you know a thought can come and all of a sudden just one thought it doesn't have to be more than that if that thought somehow gets believed and i don't even know who believes in it but somehow from the you know perspective of uh conditioning and uh you know movement like you know if we look at it in in our simple experience you know like whatever time of day you wake up and what do we mean by waking up we're in deep sleep there's no sense of me there's no sense of time in dream state there's a sense of me and there's a sense of time but deep sleep that's all gone and then waking up happens which means the senses become active and suddenly there's in in awareness there's consciousness we start to perceive yeah and usually what happens then is a series of thoughts like where am I? What's going on? How do I feel? Whom am I upset with? What do I have to do today? You know, all those thoughts of context. And because they're so familiar and so habitual, immediately we're in that world, in that universe of the, with those. I mean, and my sense is, you know, in, uh, those thoughts have been conditioned. You know, if you're an indigenous person, like in Australia, uh, living out in the middle of the desert, you know, you don't wake up with a sense of stress. What I have to do today, or something. You know? yeah. It's like a, it's a different, different condition. So you know, we've what we call civilization is getting, you know, like a training. You could say of getting a very narrow focus of attention and the sense of measuring everything and measuring yourself and comparing yourself 
all funny habits when you really look at it. Why would we, why would we teach our children that shit? <laughs> <laughs> but once we once life starts to look through those habits, you know, you, you know how it feels. It feels like wow, it's not that pleasant. Yeah. If there's like a new age, a new age belief, if you like, that you sort of create your own reality. Let's yeah. say. Could you maybe speak yeah. to that and your opinion on that? Yeah, for me, it would be the question, who's the you that does that? Like, is it the momentum of our conditioning? What is it that does that? Mm. You know, it's like without a thought in our mind, or, or you could say when there's a relaxedness and thoughts can just drift across the screen and nothing attaches to them. There is no problem. Yeah. But one th one thought that is believed to be real is the difference between heaven and hell, you know, samsara and nirvana. Yeah, just one thought is enough. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, we have, we have this, if you've been in spirituality for a little while, you always hear about identification. And so I hear the confusion often where people say, oh, I, I identified. But to me, it seems like what happens is there's an automatic unconscious movement of attention in which a sense of I arises, and then that sense of I claims to have done it. But actually, that sense of I happened from that automatic unconscious habit. So literally nobody identified it, just happened from the momentum of the conditioning and the uh, habits of attention. Yeah. Mm. So you, you said awareness and consciousness in a, in a previous few sentences. Can you distinguish between the two? Because they very often get intertwined, don't they? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, everybody uses words differently. To me, mm. it's like, Consciousness, we for most of us, we had the experience of waking, dreaming, and then deep sleep. And if with a lot of luck, the sense of just being presence, you could say, the presence in which those occur. And so awareness, you know, like we... In deep sleep, if I speak, uh, there's no sense of I, there's no sense of time. The senses are dormant. They not, you know, there's no thoughts of no interpretation. In dream states, all of that happens. We have a sense of time. It's very different than waking sense time. So the moment there's... Um, either dreaming or the senses are active, there's experiencing. So you could say, and there's, con there's con we're conscious of that experience. So I would say consciousness have to, has to do with experience and awareness is beyond experience. It's that in which all experience appears but then if you look really carefully, you can see that 
there's experiencing happening and it's it's a verb it's changing all the time so we can't ever really describe it because it's changing so fast and we don't really know what it is you know we, it's like it's just aware of a flow of of experiencing and that experiencing is it's not separate to awareness because you can't find a, a separation between awareness and experience. But yet it's useful to have a distinction between that intelligence space in which all experiencing appears, but that's beyond experience. So, you know, kind of with consciousness as experience and we're aware of it, with awareness, it's just the space of all experience, I would say, yeah. and beyond experience. So it's just a way of using words, I would say, but it's, I think it's a, it, it can be a useful distinction. Yeah. And also, do you think that the individual can go through, like, <clears throat> stages of development, or do you think it's like instantaneous awakening? Or both? Yeah. It's a, again, uh, it's a great question. But so, when you talk about an individual, what are we talking about? Where yeah. is the individual? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's like if you've got a dream character or um, like an actor in a movie, to use that. Uh, so Clint Eastwood, and he's he's acting there, like and. Uh, so, um, and he's, you know, this fast gunslinger or whatever, he's a good guy. And so that character, um, in some sense, he knows he's playing a character and he knows he's not that character. But for most of us, we don't know or we don't recognize that the character that we're playing is not who we are. So that character, that character can't actually wake up because it's actually just a, it's a character. It's a, so in the sense that which is awake is is or always awake. You know, it was funny because for me I'd never thought of that. And one day I was being interviewed, uh, kind of like this, and they asked me, "When did you wake up?" And I'm, Wow, when did I wake up? And actually, you know, what's true is that which was awake was always awake. And the sense of I can never wake up because, in fact, it doesn't even exist. It's, uh, you know, it's a mirage, actually. Mm. So, you know, when you say an individual, what are we talking about? You know, usually we're referring to a body mind system. But then are we that body-mind? We can see there's a body-mind functioning uh, through its conditioning and through its trauma. And so who's doing that? It's like somehow it seems to be doing itself. You know, this great intelligence is playing every single part. Or... Mm. Anyway, I mean... No, that sort of leaves me wordless uh, <laughs> you know there's like nothing left to add or say or change or yeah. do anything else with it yeah 
And then, what's beautiful then in that, you know, then we just hear, or you could say awareness is here, and there's just this capacity within awareness to notice where something in us contracts and thinks that something should be different and explore that and, and in my view we'll be busy with that till our last breath you know it's just like <laughs> and it's not out of a, a work or something like that it's a love affair it's just like okay it's... is that what you is that what you do um with with the, the people that you uh share space with is that like direct inquiry into awareness Absolutely, yeah. And then also, you know, like, if, you know, when you get a group of 30, 40, 50 people, you know, some people are having relationship issues, some people are having financial issues, some people are having health issues, some people are in the process of dying, some people, you know, like, and man, what people have been through, the, the, you know, like, I hear some of the, people's childhood stories and it's man it's unbelievable that they survived you know it's like you know some people are transsexual some being you know one and two transsexuals has tried to commit suicide a few times and you know so there's so many kind of filters that life looks through and so for me it's just like okay when we're resting together somehow um you know we're just there exploring and usually what happens is if i just rest with someone our systems come into kind of a sink and you know, like the usual habits of of attention kind of just become wide and drop into presence. And then people see for themselves and no words are needed. But then sometimes words can be useful for just pointing, okay, look, can you recognize that at this moment the nervous system is activated and it's in a trauma response oh yeah far out, I hadn't noticed you know because you it's so habitual and so usual we don't even notice it a lot of times when it's happening so just it getting pointed out and then depending on how intense the activation is there you know there's um ways of assisting the nervous system to integrate and to calm down and to come back to the parasympathetic nervous system where there's the capacity of recognizing ourselves as awareness. So it's just like uh, keeping on exploring so people can start to see that, you know, like the circumstance isn't what's really causing the difficulty. There's like some movements that happen usually so quickly and so virtually that they're not seen and so once they get seen it changes the whole uh, mm. the whole it changes everything but 
you know, it's how, how I would describe it, you know, when we meet each other, when we sit together, like what we're giving each other is our attention. And when the, that, the quality of attention is presence with no agenda, not wanting anything, just resting, it invites a flow that you could call love. And um, so in that sense, we're all participating in each other's well-being. And when you get like 30, 40 people all like with that common interest, just resting together, man, the feel that gets generated is exquisite. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting then because, you know, if we use like if our caregivers had a dualistic habit of attention, in other words, they saw us an object, they might have loved us or loved that their sense of the, oh, my son or my daughter or whatever. But the baby only has one signal, which is to cry. And then if our parents didn't recognize what its signal was, then they would be guessing, you know, or, or like if in, in when I was a baby, Spock was very popular and they had this idea of letting babies cry out and don't let the baby control you with their crying. And I mean, there was a bunch of funny ideas around, which is traumatizing for people. Yeah. So, you know, if you, and so if you really make it simple, you know, like indigenous people oftentimes don't even put diapers on their kids because they can feel when the baby needs to go to the toilet and they, they, they in tune with it. And so if, if your caregivers aren't in tune with you like that, they don't see you and they don't feel you. It leaves a residue, an existential residue. And so then there's a yearning to be seen and felt. So when we start to be together with each other, not seeing each other's objects, but feeling each other, you could say like that, people start to feel safe. And then they start to speak about things a lot of times that they've never spoken about in their lives because it feels safe. And in the speaking of it, then there's an opportunity of discernment and seeing, okay, where they, where's their charge, where's there something that hasn't been seen yet. And what I love in in the meetings is when somebody speaks, you know, it's just like to check with the group, how many of you know your version of what these people are speaking about? And, oh, it's usually everybody. And then after we've done an exploration, how many of people got value out of it? And usually it's everybody. So in some sense, who's ever speaking is just the voice of consciousness in that moment, and it's for the benefit of everybody. And so... Hmm. Does the topic of death come up much? Definitely. Yeah. And can you perhaps uh, share what, what, you, what may come up and how you might answer a question, something, for example... I suppose people would ask, you know, is there life after death? Because they want a continuation of I, I suppose, and, and reincarnation, probably similar, that they want to continue in some way. Um, maybe could you speak to that? Yeah, well, sure. You know, so for me, it would go into an inquiry like, okay, what is it that dies? And what is 
what is dying? You know, like we go to deep sleep at night, and that doesn't freak us out at all. We like it, in fact. Yeah. Like, oh man, this is a, <laughs> <laughs> so nice to just you know like let every and we let everything go. You know? Yeah, it's just like it's just, it's it's actually beautiful. There's no thought of oh you know maybe I won't wake up or something like that. But so it's like, you know, what is it that dies? What is dying? You know, it's like, so it's like awareness. Because, you know, it's usually referring to the body. Like, oh, the body died or something like that. But what is it that's animating the body? What is that? And uh, does that go anywhere? You know, it's like, and the body activity itself, you know, it's not separate from totality because it doesn't exist without breathing. And to take the next breath, it requires the whole universe to be the way it is, you know, so it's like, it's, even at the level of this bodying, mm. there is no separation. But somehow, you know, there's this idea that we go somewhere or we leave, and then the question is, what is it that... So, you know, when it drops and there's just uh, presence, what left, what, <laughs> what, what's not there... And so, yeah, mm. you know, so it, it, it comes back to this, you know, really deep looking at who are you? Yeah, but I can speak from experience here that there is like a natural innate fear of not existing, even with the awareness of awareness, there is still a Hence the reason, like, if a car's about to hit you, you jump out the way. You don't just stand there. So yeah, there is... so, but I'd say that, that's inherent yeah, sure. in, physical, in physicality. You know, it's like every life form, if you take a bacteria and you in a Petri dish and you put poison on one side and food on the other side, the bacteria will go towards the food and away from the poison. It's just inherent in life, and you know? that's like... Uh, some of our life one it's programmers to kind of mm. uh, live but then it's like I had a woman once come to one of my meetings and uh, her story was that her whole life she'd been plagued by this what she called the sphere of dying and she'd done therapy up the wazoo and spent thousands of dollars. And, and so she came, you know, she came in front and she asked me, can you help? And uh, I said, I have no idea. But I'm, I'm, yeah, the thing that comes across my screen is, are you afraid of dying? Or are you afraid of the idea of dying? And she stopped for a moment. And she burst out laughing. She said, shit, I'm, I'm afraid of the idea of dying because I don't know what dying is actually. 
And she just laughed her head off. And and I said, oh, that's really far out. It's great. And, and I said, please, um, tell me how this integrates. And, and you know, and she wrote me a, a while later. She said, that fear went away and never came back. Because she could see it was the fear of an idea, not of it's like, well, you know, you could say fear of not existing, but I would say that if there's if there's non-existence, there's no one to not to, to fear it. It's like so it would be, uh, you know, like somehow touching uh, something very expanded and going, whoa. Uh, Will I survive, you know, will I survive that? And it's, that's what troubles us, not the non-existence, it's the thought. Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that resonates for you, but I mean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't remember being born either, and I'm, I'm fairly sure I'm not going to remember dying, so. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, I, for a while, I tried this, this this thing just to see if I could catch the moment when I went into sleep, and all that happened was, I, you know, it's like I would I either wouldn't sleep because I was busy looking for that moment, or I was gone and it was over. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find that moment. So yeah, Isaac, I need to wrap this up uh, time-wise. Um, thank you very much for coming on. I've uh, I've loved speaking to you and. Um, there's definitely a resonance there with with what you're saying. If people who listen to this want to um, check you out, do you have a YouTube channel or anything? There are a bunch of YouTubes, but I mean, if anyone wants to participate, I do, at this point, I do three Zoom meetings a week and everybody's welcome to tune into them and you can find information on that on my website, uh, isaacshapiro.org. Um, you know, times because there's people that attend from Australia, Europe, and different places in Australia, some from America, so sometimes from India and different places. Uh, hmm. Everybody's welcome. It's on a donation basis, and some people give, some people don't, and it's pretty relaxing. Some people turn their cameras on, some people don't, but there's an opportunity if anyone wants to interact that they can, we can have one-on-one -on -one, uh, connection like this. And then people are willing, welcome to talk about anything that's on their screen. And, you know, with luck, I managed to ask the right questions that point people at their own knowing. So you're welcome too, Alex, if you ever feel- Thank you, I will do. Just, yeah. 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 Okay, Isaac, thank you. Uh, have a nice yeah, rest, for, have a nice yeah, sleep. Don't try and catch yourself. <laughs> thanks thanks for reaching out Alex and I enjoyed this pleasure okay all the best bye bye Isaac. cheers bye.